Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Thanos to Theos, a podcast for youth and student workers committed to reaching teens with the gospel, featuring conversations from comics and culture to theology and ministry. We're part of the Rooted Family of Podcasts, which also includes uh, Ask Alice, the Rooted Parent Podcast, and the Rooted Youth Ministry Podcast. And we love being part of this ministry of Rooted because of their dedication to gospel-centered youth ministry. So if you want to learn more or see more resources from Rooted, check out the website, www.rootedministry.com. I'm one of your hosts, Clark Phobes, and here are my co-hosts. I'm Mike McGarry. And I'm Kevin Yee. Well, welcome to this episode of Thanos to Theos. We know it's been a while since we've released one, but there's been so much going on in the MCU. And so we want to just pack it all into one big Christmas extravaganza episode. And we're going to be talking about two of the events in the MCU, and I call them events you'll see in a while, or, or if you've seen them, you know, um, that actually could be considered Christmas show movie, huh? Uh, Hawkeye, the Disney Plus series, and Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, both of them have moments that either end on Christmas or center around the Christmas holidays, so we just thought it was fitting to put these two together. We'll have one mega episode today. Uh, if you do not care about one or the other or just want to skip forward, you can uh, find in the show notes the time signatures for that. But uh, but let's start with Spider-Man No Way Home. And this was probably the most anticipated MCU film of maybe since Endgame, probably. Um, yep. There's been a lot of buzz and hype around it. There's been a lot of leaks. And, uh, and just right up front, this is a spoiler-filled episode as usual spoiler doing saturated. deep dive <laughs> spoiler <Yes>. saturated <laughs> we're doing deep dive into these show the show and movie uh, but spider-man no way home pretty much all of the fan theories that were out there kevin feige showed up on it's like he was reading the reddit thread and said that's good that's good that's good let's pack them all in it's like just such a fan service it was amazing um so let's talk about this film first just from like initial reactions then we obviously have a lot of you know theos themes to talk about uh with theology and ministry but first of all just initial impressions guys what were your thoughts well so mike is the resident uh spider-man lover fanboy yeah lover (laughs) so i think i think he deserves to go first it was everything i hoped it would be and there were so few surprises let's be honest but it what? still no. I was shocked. Re- were you? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I was. See, it's I, one I of those things. Like, like I believe so it. much about the storyline. I, I mean, believe the details. It, but I, won't I believe guess. it until I see it. You know. Yeah. I guess the details, but I, I feel like we knew so much about this movie before it came out. But it yes. still was incredible, and yep. I did not feel disappointed whatsoever when i walked out of the movie theater i loved everything about it and take great personal offense to any criticism (laughs) all right well you've been warned viewers do not disagree with (laughs) mike's opinion on this if you want to remain friends with him Um, kevin what do you think dude okay the, the best part about this movie is that if you've been following the Spider-Man movies from 20 years ago, this is like, this redeems all things Spider-Man. 
Like Everything. that's that's what I felt like as I was sitting in the yes. theater, and there were mm-hmm. moment after moment after moment. It was very meta too, like just the way that the dialogue and the storylines really coincide with stuff that's happening in the business end of Spider Man and stuff that's happening on the <laughs> right. like like the actors' lives part of Spider Man. Like it just, mm-hmm. but it wraps everything up so well. Um, and so, yeah, I just remember. So I had so normally there's a group of guys that I watch with on like the the Thursday night before the premiere usually. Um, I wasn't able to do that because I had a family stuff, and so I had to watch it on Friday morning. And um, I actually watched it by myself, but I wasn't gonna. No <laughs> I was, shame. I respect no, that. I, had I to. respect that. I had to because I just I was avoiding sport. I like deleted social media off my phone so that I wouldn't get spoiled <laughs> for anything. That's intense. And, That's commitment. Yeah, and I was just like, there's no way I could go to uh, watch this after youth group on Friday night. Uh, and not get like just everything spoiled, and I was like, no, yeah, "That's not gonna happen." So yeah. I'm gonna watch it by myself. Yeah. Um, and I was laughing and shouting all by myself. <laughs> I was that guy because <laughs> I was so excited for the stuff that I was seeing. So, Mike, as you talked about, like all your hopes and dreams coming true, like that's that's totally what it felt like watching uh, the movie. And it was like. It wasn't a surprise in the sense that there were things that had been leaked, but it was definitely a surprise in the way all of it kind of came together. Yeah. Yes. And honestly, yeah. it was a heartfelt movie. Yes. Um, and again, part of it has to do with knowing the history of the Spider-Man films mm-hmm. and knowing how Sony's handled stuff and how Marvel's handled stuff. Um, but it was just a fitting conclusion to so many different things. And then um, for me, the big twist was that the whole Tom Holland trilogy really served as an origin story right. uh, mm-hmm. for the more traditional comic book uh, Spider-Man. And so I'm really excited now for where this is all going to. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's super yeah. satisfying. Yeah, I'll echo everything you guys said. Um, there were no surprises in terms of who was going to show up. We saw in the trailer that all the Sinister Six villains from the other movies were in it already. That was revealed um, from the like Brazil IMAX trailer where there was a ghost figure <laughs> punching uh, Dr. Connors, the, the lizard. Wait, when we that all... happened, everyone yes. was like, it's the scene, it's the scene. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, when I saw that, me and my friends, we just laughed because we were like, it's there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, you know, but the way that they brought in Garfield and Maguire was just, it was just masterful. Yeah. Um, and I just, I like, to me, like we've been saying, this was an event. It wasn't just a film, it was an event because it's the culmination of almost 20 years of cinema, Spider-Man cinema, and like how many films now? Like seven previous films, uh, this being the eighth one. So there's just, it, it was just so satisfying on so many levels. Um, I like, I don't think I've cried that much <laughs> during a Marvel movie <laughs> outside of Endgame. <laughs> and I watched it a second time with my wife and she turned to me during the middle scene after Aunt May dies and she's like, are you crying again? <laughs> I was like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> it's sad, okay. And I told her, I was like, you didn't cry? You're heartless. She's like, no, I cried. I'm just, I think it's funny that you cried after watching it the second time <laughs> in the same place. <laughs> And that was the thing. It was just like they had me so captivated that like even though I knew exactly what was coming, it just it just got me the second time too. So um I will come out and say I think this is the the best standalone 
whether you, you can argue if it's standalone or not, but the best solo film in the MCU. Um, I still love Endgame, but I can't watch Endgame without watching all the other ones. Whereas this one, I could see myself just sitting down and watching it by itself. Yeah. So you, yeah. you're saying better than Black Panther yes. and Shang-Chi? Yes, by far. All right. By wow. far. And this, and you know, by far, not even close. Yeah, I, I don't think it's close. I think, wow. I think No Way Home's on wow. another level. Wow, just like <laughs> cinematically, storytelling wise, it's just it hit it's all funny the right cause, boxes. Because I'll, I'll put this movie in a different category. Like I put Endgame, Infinity War, yeah, No Way Home in a different category. In the sense that you have to have so much backstory in order to really enjoy right. everything Same. that's happening. Same. So, like I, I, we, we texted about this, but I differentiate between a film and a movie. In that way. So you know how like there's been those stories of like Martin Scorsese looks at the Marvel movies and he's like, those are amusement park rides. Those aren't like films. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I'm like, like hundred percent. I don't fully agree with him, but in some way, like it kind of makes sense. Like these things don't stand alone, right? You come to the table with all, the more you come to the table with, the more you can enjoy these things. Right. Right. But in terms of like the way that you would watch a normal film where there's a story arc and a character arc for everybody, like no way. Okay. I know I'm going to get okay, – we're going to get into a fight about this right now. But oh, no boy. Way, no Way Home is not a perfect movie. Um, I'm rolling up my sleeves, Kevin. <laughs> it's there's a, there's it's a the lot most of perfect <laughs> Marvel movie out there. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't make sense. And, uh, no, it yeah. all makes sense. Do, if you okay, just it's give comic them. books. Yeah, nothing makes sense <laughs> in the comic book world. That's the thing. It's like, well, so logic, you're going to argue well, about well, these plot the holes. guys shooting lasers out yeah. of it, like – Come on. Like, why are you going to argue about plot holes when we have to suspend belief and actually believe a Spider-Man exists? Yes, exactly. You guys can't change your standards for Spider-Man. Come on. <laughs> you apply these standards for... <laughs> Just think about the way you critique Eternals versus the way you critique No Way Home. Like, No Way... Oh, no. No Way Can Home we just acknowledge, too, how wonderful it is <laughs> that this movie... like. Eternals could just disappear from the MCU and zero <laughs> things would change anywhere. Yes. And I kind of hope that happens. All right, yes. Sorry. Just scrub it. Complete side note, but Eternals has not existed in anything else in the MCU so far. <laughs> they're, let's just say they're on their own timeline. It's their own multiverse. <laughs> their own universe outside of the MCU. What were your top moments from the film? Wait no, Kevin. Movie. You you were yeah. about to say yeah, something about to for say... us to disagree with. Yeah, don't and you don't never go and said it. All right, from that. okay, okay, okay. Look, my main quibble has to do with Strange, right? The way that he does his spell and the danger that it causes to the entire universe. I mean, they've gone through a, a world-ending event before. You would think that he'd be a lot more careful with what he's talking about, and the fact that he's just like. You know, a wink and a head nod, and then it's just like, okay, here we go. Oh, and by the way, uh, everyone's going to forget who you are, you know, as he's casting this this spell. And I was just like, that, that, and I saw the movie twice, and the more I think about it, the more that doesn't sit well with me in terms of thinking of Strange as a hero, because it seems like such an immature thing for him to do. I get that he wants to help. Peter, but there's no explanation of like how the spell works. I mean, of course, Peter's going to have qualms about who forgets. Um, of course, he's going to want the people that he loves to remember. You know, I thought that that what it didn't have to go down that way. Like there were things that they probably could have done to make it a little bit more. Um, I don't know. It just the whole thing is a little silly 
in the beginning, if I'm perfectly honest. Now, that doesn't affect at all how much I enjoyed the movie, not even a little bit, okay? I'm just saying, there was something I was going to criticize about it that that would definitely be something I criticize about. So, um, so do you want to pick this fight, Mike, or do you want me to? Is that fight even worth picking? <laughs> I mean, like, if this, is, if this is the criticism that you have of the movie, and then you end it with, but it doesn't really matter, the movie's still amazing. It is. Is it, it even is. worth rebutting well that's why i was gonna just gloss over it i'm just saying it's not it's not a perfect movie and there's too many like coincidences but i mean again that's that's part of what it means to enjoy these things is to recognize that that stuff happens so that you know these series of events could happen so that we could see the thing that we all want to see which is three spider-men swinging off the statue of liberty and then like webbing each other and swinging each other around come on like it's fine. Such it's good fight scenes. Well. It's yeah, so good. The best yeah. Spider-Man action for sure. I mean, yes. The o- the only criticism I have of the movie is just that the only people who know that Peter Parker is Sp- that Spider-Man is Peter Parker. The only people who know that are people who we've already seen in movies, and that there's no characters between when those movies took place and like old man Peter Parker, Tobey Maguire coming back. Like no one else discovered backwards but like so what it's, it's, it's a movie just enjoy it like okay so they just like landed somewhere else like venom did in hawaii or whatever like sure maybe they came over they just weren't in new york city who knows like are these criticisms really worth doing anything more than just a head nod towards and then moving along right because you can't address all of that but what i'm saying for the strange thing is the circumstances by which all of the events of the movie came to be, it just felt a little like not well thought out. Like it was too flippant. Of, yeah, it was way too. Yeah, it was way too flippant. Considering again all the things that they've gone through. I mean, there's a history. But that's who Doctor Strange is, <laughs> right? Well, and, like, yeah. I mean, he's kind of. I saw that as like, yeah. Even though we've seen them go through all this, like you go back to the first Doctor Strange film where he's still kind of this arrogant doctor you know and that's still part of who he is so he's confident arrogant he's gonna do like even the whole way he handles the box like that little box to send them back i thought that was very fitting for his character even though like the whole time they're doing this exchange him and peter parker you're like frustrated but like it's very true to their both of their characters so i didn't i guess they could have teased it out a bit more to make it make a bit more sense but i didn't have a huge problem because I'm like, that's kind of who Stephen Strange is. Yeah, especially if if Stephen Strange loses the Sorcerer Supreme right. title and he doesn't have the uh, the Time Stone anymore, like he that much more he's going to feel the need to assert his arrogance and prove that he should that he should be Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, yeah. So he's going to be like, whatever, I can do this in my sleep. No problem. Come with me, little child, and we'll, like, mind wipe the entire existence. Yeah, but if Wong's now the Sorcerer Supreme, I have questions about his uh, discernment as well, you know, staging fights in Macau. This is true, and fighting Abomination for money. What are these wizards and sorcerers doing? I don't don't understand. Well, hey, maybe that's the point of Multiverse of Madness, right? (laughs) Well, Uh, and Wong's to be defending the world and here they are well and the the trailer made it seem like strange was going to do this without wong's approval and wong was like whatever just leave me out of it strange don't cast that spell 
It's too dangerous. Fine. I won't. That oh, they yeah, switched yeah, that yeah. up. Like this trailer. wasn't a yeah. big deal. Like it yeah. wasn't, I guess, and that's that's my critique of this critique is that this was such a no big deal of a spell. It was supposed to be. That Peter well, Parker. Yeah. Well, but then there were also like, up. well, what if this a smarter spell would have been like just everybody forget who Mysterio was? But then everyone still knows who Pete, they still the, know he's Peter Parker. Is Peter. Yeah. Yeah. And All right, Kevin's so Clark, done. we won. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so then what makes this film so good? Like if you were to talk about thematically, uh, beyond just like the experience, but like thematically, the story, the narrative, what about it makes it so captivating? I mean, it's just the whole approach of we're not going to fight them. We're going to rescue them redemption right it's just that's such a spider-man approach that we haven't seen in the mcu yet right and like i I think about that comic series um i I forget what run it is where um they're talk they talk about how spider-man could never wield mjolnir that he would never be considered worthy because he's not willing to kill and if you to be considered worthy of wielding Thor's hammer, you need to be able to kill for the name of justice. And Spider Man's not even willing to do to kill in the name of justice. But and like but he does th- end up and wielding yet, Mjolnir. And yet right? Peter Parker in the MCU has like kill mode on his Spidey suit. <laughs> so it's funny, like, do you want me to activate like instant kill? Instant kill. Yes. Like so like it's it's funny and when you're fighting all these aliens in Wakanda who with Thanos are like invading like activate instant kill like heck yes but that's not the Spider-Man I know from comic books who I love who is just always obsessed with being the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man that is who I am I'm going to do the right thing I'm not going to beat people up I'm going to save them I'm going to stop the bad guy but I will not kill them and I want to hurt them as little as possible while webbing them up and stopping them. So they're arrested. And I feel like we finally have that Spider-Man now in the MCU that we didn't have before. And that approach of saving and rescuing, um, and not just this, like, I don't know, Tony Stark esque bravado, um, I, I think that was tempered with May's compassion in this right, movie right. in some really phenomenal ways that, frankly, I, I think are, are very much indicative of Christian ideals and a, a Christian approach to peacemaking and justice um, and redemption that I, I think this is a very Christian Spider-Man movie, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. <laughs> so I loved everything about it. Well, and so, like, in that, I forget if it's the same comic line or not, but Spider-Man does wield Mjolnir at one point. I don't remember that. But, yeah, you know, I think the whole idea of redemption is what sets this movie apart because, and it's funny, I was I was talking with some other friends, and I was even talking with my wife after we watched it. She was like, he's so dumb. He should have just killed them and <laughs> sent them back. Like, end of movie, May wouldn't have died. End of story, he would have gotten everything he wanted. And I was arguing with her. I was like, well, that's kind of like the whole point is that he sacrifices everything he wanted 
and realize like with this conversation with May, because he has this great power, he also has this great responsibility to not just selfishly care about only himself, but to take care and care for others. And and I thought what was so beautiful about this film was like in, in both the Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield series, they want to help the villains, but they can't. Like the villains end up, you know, coming to their own demise at some point. And yet this is a chance for even them to have redemption for their lack of ability to redeem those villains. And they accomplish it together. Um, right. And as far as I can remember, I think this is the first film in the MCU, and if not out of all the Spider-Mans, where the villains actually walk away at the end. As far as I'm remembering, I, I don't mm-hmm. think there's, I don't know if there's a single, you know, MCU or, or comic film where the villains are actually redeemed and get a second chance because usually we'll get that ending where there's there's sympathy for what they did we understand them but they still pass away they still die like like you know in black panther with killmonger and wakanda like you have sympathy for him and black panther's like we can heal you and he's like no i'd rather you know die free than be a slave and so he dies um but just the whole fact that we have this like it it really does it kind of messes with with your understanding of what heroism is and being a superhero comes with. And I think that was a good thing. Like it, it really caused this whole questioning of like moral responsibility, even to those who we think are undeserving. Yeah. And I think that's, that is, well, so Mike, you were saying that, um, this is core to who Spider-Man is that he doesn't kill people. And the MCU version had the instant kill and stuff. But I feel like, Homecoming, the first, you know, standalone Tom Holland Spider-Man movie. I mean, he redeems the vulture in the end, right? He saves him from the burning wreckage. Um, right, true. That's yeah, where he I, I, first I discovers Spider-Man. the instant kill mode and he like turns it off. So, I mean, that's a part of, I think, who the Tom Holland character was. But I think what happens is the second movie, uh, Far From Home, it kind of removes that part of him because he's dealing with all this high school stuff. So in a weird way, like he was he was more of a kid in that second movie cuz he was going after MJ and he was focused on the class trip and all that kind of stuff that um like and then he thought, you know, Mysterio was a friend of his and so on and so forth, but um you know, the and the end of that movie um where um, Quentin Beck, you know, uh, tries to shoot him from the side and he uses the Peter Tingle to like stop the gun and all that kind of stuff. Like, <laughs> like so all, all of that stuff, I think, like at the time that I saw the movie, I remember thinking, dude, this is such an awesome movie. But like I questioned a little bit of where they were taking the character. Yeah. And so I feel like um, No Way Home, it really brings him back to the core of who he was and really what they started in Homecoming. And I thought, again, it was just even in the the three film arc, you have this really interesting storyline of him. Like, that's the core of who he is. I mean, clearly that's that's who May is, you know, and we see finally May working at Feast and we see her right. working with the homeless. And, yeah. you know, like that scene when um, the, the goblin, right, is, uh, oh, man, Willem Dafoe, by the way, just so, so stinking good. <laughs> so <laughs> creepy. Yeah. 20 years later. And oh he's like gosh. still the same guy. And this time they they don't put him in the mask and they just have him use his face. Yeah, and you can so just tell the call. difference between yeah, oh man, so good. Um, but anyway, so when he's sitting there in the homeless shelter wearing you know his purple hoodie, and like that was amazing, yeah, just so Such good, good right? And then exactly yes. how at the end when the costume blows off, like it, it's like the traditional. Con- oh, so good. But when they're sitting there in the homeless shelter, like that's when it hit me of like, oh, this is really who the character is. Like that, this this kid who is trying to do the right thing for everybody, mm-hmm. and I think to have 
the character of May really underlined that for him, I thought was just really beautiful. Yeah. And it's this idea that like, who is Peter's mentor? Right? Like that's the question. So you have Tony Stark in the first one, Mysterio in the second one, but you realize actually in this third film, May's been his mentor this entire time. Mm -hmm. And she's the one who's really given him the the value and the like ethos. His moral foundation. His right, moral foundation, right. exactly. And so you realize that he wasn't lacking in that department, but we thought he was because we always felt like, oh, he's missing the Uncle Ben figure. So I thought that was pretty subversive mm -hmm. of how I the film that was just awesome. sort of, yeah. yeah, kind of built up his character. And I really appreciated that. Yeah. Because um, May really didn't have a lot to do in the previous films. And so no. I feel like even in this film, she's redeemed in that way, you know? And yeah. so that's why I think it was so painful when she dies. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, also because like, like... The fake out too, right? Oh, oh yeah. Why well, I got to play with my heart like that? Because when she gets hit, you're like, dude, that's it. She's gone. Yeah, yeah. she's gone. And then she's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then you're like, okay, thank God. But then she actually dies and you're like, no! Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but also the fact that like, so I didn't, I never really cared when Uncle Ben died in the other two series because he's in the movie for what, like 10 minutes, 15 minutes? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you, you don't get attached really to, to know him. him. No. Yeah. But like May, we've seen in three, four, five movies with those crossovers. And so like, right. there's just the attachments there now, uh, which is why it hits so hard. Um, well, and now he's like a double orphan. Yeah. Right? No like, kidding. that's horrible. Like, yeah. like, that's horrible. He's a double orphan. And in the comics, too, is like, May is his world. Yes. Even yes. more so than MJ is. Yes. Like, May is Peter Parker's life. So, losing her, the, the depth of that for people who understand Spider Man <laughs> um, beyond the movies. Like, yeah. that's, that's deep and heavy. Yeah, it hurts. There are some other moments for me that were so, like, heartfelt, and I think it's because of how they also played in some of these Spider-Man themes. Um, one was when, I, I like, after uh, Tom Holland, you got to say their names now, not the Spider-Man or Peter Parker. Peter 1, when, Peter 2, Peter 1, Peter 3. <laughs> of course Peter 3. Peter 3. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> so good. Uh, but right after he lost May and, you know, Toby and Andrew Garfield come and meet him, they're sharing their own pain. Yeah. And and then just like throughout the movie, the fact that they get to interact like this, Garfield's like, I always wanted brothers. And then their hug at the end. You mm -hmm. just get this sense of like Peter has always been alone in every iteration of his. Yeah. And now especially Tom Holland's Peter losing May, he's completely alone. And especially by the end when everyone's wiped the memories. But he's found this like – it's like he's being mentored by two older versions of himself. And I yeah, just thought like there was yeah. just so much like – just so much like goodness there of the embrace of like community, having people around them and finally feeling like there's someone that gets them so they're not alone. Um and then a similar similar thread when Andrew Garfield caught MJ and he's like crying because oh, he yep. Gosh, he was able to me. redeem what he couldn't do for himself. He was able to do for for Tom Holland, Peter Parker. Um, so you just have all these threads about like who Spider Man is from like the loneliness, the redemption, dealing with grief um, that I just thought were were so like deep uh, that you don't usually get in a movie in the way they they explored those themes. Yeah. 
that that scene when Garfield catches MJ. (laughs) That was so (laughs) well acted on Garfield and Zendaya. Garfield did not have to give that much to the like he could have just collected the paycheck and be done with it. But you could tell he loves Spider Man. Yeah, like actually, I really appreciated that. Oh man, yeah, and And McGuire too. Like I didn't love him as much. No, because he's 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 a weird Peter Parker to me. Youth Pastor Peter Parker. Hello, that's right. We are finally seen, guys. I know. But like, finally acknowledged but, in the world. But he, too, just like kind of fell right back into that Peter. Like just the yeah. same awkward Peter. is so funny. <laughs> that thing, that scene where they're talking about the web shooters. Oh, my gosh. That was so funny. Does it come out so from anywhere else? <laughs> I love that so they made good. all the jokes <laughs> yeah. that all the jokes. everyone makes and so laughs ma- yeah. and teases and about so, ma- so many meta references too like the whole <laughs> cracking cracking uh, the back toby toby mcguire's back like yeah. oh yeah. do you guys know the backstory of that with spider-man yeah. 2 spider-man yeah. 2 yeah, yeah the sequel, he, they, they weren't gonna yeah oh it's hilarious and then, oh <laughs> so my good. back <laughs> I love when that. he falls on the cars the whole thing was so good yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was just really well played. And yet at the same time, it was undeniably a Tom Holland driven Spider-Man movie. Yes. Mm -hmm. So that was one of my concerns going into it was like, how are they really going to do this? Are these other guys going to come in just kind of as a cameo type of thing? Right. Um, Right. And then they're gone. And I was really pleasantly surprised by how they pulled off having all three really work together. Um, Also... Guys, you know, I don't want to brag or anything, but I've been part of the Avengers. Oh, that's so cool. Is that Who's a band? That? You were you in a band? <laughs> I I wanna know, was that ad libs? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's a line that was probably ad libs. Oh, <laughs> and they were like, yeah. That's good, we'll keep it. So good. Or like I fought aliens in space. Oh, I wanna, man, fight, I wanna an alien. fight an alien. <laughs> My villains are so lame compared to you guys. But a Russian guy in a rhino robot suit. Like just, Let me just um, stop you for a minute. You are amazing. Yes. Did you so, say that? Yeah. So I, I want a whole movie where it's just the three of them hanging out. Oh, man. You know, like a bottle episode or something. Like oh. just stick them somewhere and they're waiting for bad guys for an hour. And that's what the whole movie is. It's just a banter. And I just, I just can't wait to see an interview of the three of them together. Where they oh, sitting talk, down it's and finally going to happen. It's going to happen, gonna finally. Happen. Yeah, because they've been avoiding all yes, that. Yes, yes. I am not the werewolf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, okay, so there's one There's one more thing I did want to bring up. If you guys have other thoughts, too, we can talk about it. But one thing that that did strike me a little bit was you see this theme through all these villains of, like, duality, of good and evil, where... I guess that's part of the reason why Tom Holland wants to, you know, help them because he says everyone's in need of a second chance. And I think this is a common thread, but it just felt like every villain, they're like a good guy, something bad happens to them, and then they have this like alternate personality that's taking over. Yeah, you got to be careful where you fall, right? Yeah, be careful where you fall. (laughs) And so in talking about both the movie and the villains, but also just like in life and what we observe, like... Do you guys think that's something that we can say holds true? Because I think that's a vision the world wants to believe in, right? There's this duality. Like everyone has some good and some bad, and it's just about bringing the good out more. Um, But that was something I found myself wrestling with that I didn't quite like about the film. I, I felt it was necessary to the film, but as a, you know, for us being cultural exegetes and 
you know, just talking about the mind of the world and, and, and the, the mind of Christ, like, that's just one thing that I was like wrestling with as I was watching the movie. Any thoughts on that? Like, how do we explain that when it comes to the Christian faith, this whole duality of good and evil? Well, I think it comes down to that understanding that Luther emphasized of that we are simultaneously a saint and sinner. Um, that as Christians, we, we are saints, we are holy, and at the same time, we are sinners and capable of great evil. Um, I forget the context. I was talking with someone um, just a few days ago, and they were, they were saying, oh, I can't believe, how could some people do things like that? And I remember secretly thinking in my head, and I was too ashamed to say it out loud, but I was like, <laughs> I can totally see how people do evil, horrible things like that. Like, apart from the grace of God, like, we are capable of significant evil things, <laughs> and it's not just us being victims but of us being the, the the guilty perpetrators of things. And so I, I don't think that our culture has an understanding of um, total depravity. And, and I think no. this is in part why youth workers should be talking about what sin is and uh, what does the Bible really say about depravity and our need for a savior. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, but I'm also thinking just from like, so like watching the film, and I think this is, maybe this will rub some people the wrong way, or like, it won't sit well with people when they're watching the film, because we do tend to have these categories of like, on one one side there's a hero, on the other side there's the villain. And it's very black and white, you know? Someone's good, someone's evil. But in this film, we got a lot of mixing of the two, like confusion. Like even, even Peter, when he's revealed... Half the world thinks he's a villain. The other half thinks he's a hero. And there's this whole debate. Is he a hero or is he a villain? Is he a vigilante, you know? And then the same comes out on the villains. Um, and so I, I I think I think probably, I mean, you're right, Mike, but I, I think the world would see it as like, everyone is good. We all just do some bad things or bad things happen to us to make us more evil. And I think that's the the moral vision the movie was putting forward for us to explore and interact with at a personal standpoint oh interesting okay i see what you mean i actually didn't take it that way um i think for me the the primary question the movie's asking is like who deserves to be redeemed okay and again i'm i'm channeling that through may because she's sitting there with goblin right and she's like He's not well, right? Right, she's right. Like, he's he's crazy as he's stealing donuts in the background. <laughs> yeah, so funny. <laughs> Again, so good. But like, yeah, that was the that was the question. Like, because at that moment, you know, he's gonna be the bad guy at the end, right? You know, he's gonna do awful things. And the question is, at at what point um, do we say this guy can't be redeemed anymore? Right. He kills May. Right. He decimates Peter in the fight, you know, in the in the apartment building in their condo. And at the end, when Peter raises when uh, Peter won, right, Tom Holland raises the glider to stab Goblin. There was a there was I'm pretty sure like everyone who's rooting for Spider-Man is like, I hope he doesn't do this. Right. John Walker-esque. Yeah, and it's like, why exactly? Oh, yeah, that's, yeah. And the ironic thing was that's on top of, like, the shield, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and clearly, like, again, so many things that yeah. they're redeeming in this and so many connections here. But the idea is, like, he's only, and you're like, I hope he doesn't do this. 
because I think the the movie is trying to to tell you that like the the thing that Spider-Man shouldn't do is kill this guy and mm-hmm. you know that's that's the moral center of the film right, right. Yeah. and so I felt like that was the primary question and in that sense I think the film does that successfully but I think to what you're talking about is but ultimately in the end is that necessarily what we want everyone to walk away with because we also believe in a God who judges sin. Right, right. Right? And that is something that we have to hold in tension. Right. That as much as we want to root for Spider-Man, there's also a deep sense in us where we're rooting for God to get rid of evil and suffering in the world. Like, we actually want a God who is ultimately just and will make all things right. And part of making all things right is ensuring that judgment falls where it's supposed to. Right. But I think think there's also tension there. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, I was just going to say, I I think part of that too, that we don't know um, is what happens with uh, these guys when they get sent back. When they go back. Yeah. You know, does that mean that now they're fine, consequence free, because now they're healthy and now they're back in their right state of minds. Yeah. Um, And I mean, I just, I got to believe they're still going to have to face the music and deal with the, the outcome and the consequences of what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my wife was like, yeah. he just changed everyone's timelines. <laughs> like that's they're true. all completely altered. I was like, yep, that's yeah. true. There's going to be the ripple TVA? effects. <laughs> but I mean, that's why there needs to be an amazing Spider-Man three. With that's Garfield. right. Mm-hmm. It has to happen. I need to see how that shakes out. Yeah. T-A-S-M three hashtag. <laughs> but I think so, like going back to like, let's say Willem Dafoe and Green Goblin, for instance, like, yes, he's the, he's the main antagonist of the film he ends up being the main villain um which he played so well but even that his like villainous take is because of this alter ego so it's not actually you know norman osborne it's the green goblin and once he's rid of the other half the green goblin he's back to his good-hearted norman osborne and so that's where i think maybe at least for myself when i was watching it there's a bit of this again, duality that, that our world wants to believe that everyone is good enough if the bad is just weeded out. Whereas in the Christian faith, we have a different take, right? No one is good enough. We're, we all have maybe some hint of good and evil, sin and common grace, but our redemption doesn't come by just the evil being taken out, but complete new changes of heart. And so... um that's one thing where I just I felt like the film like it did push more this humanistic message as much as there's a lot of good themes of redemption, second chances, grace, mercy, undeserving um I felt like there's still this moral vision of like people are inherently good and it's just about weeding out the bad. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Like I said, I I totally did not I didn't see that. I didn't notice that because I think I was so wrapped up in the Really the same thing, but I think from the opposite perspective. <laughs> sure, sure. Because the idea is like, so Norman Osborn needs a savior right, to rid right. himself of the goblin. Yeah. And so Spider-Man is injecting him with the serum, and that's going to expel the goblin from inside of him. Yeah, right? yeah. And in that sense, like I, I think for me, the more the parallel that I drew was like, that's why we need a savior. That's why we need somebody to rescue us. Sure. And that's why we need somebody to come in us from the inside out, right? Like our union with Christ is what produces sanctification. It's through Christ in us that we're able to 
live a life that's more and more like Jesus as time goes on. So it's not as instant as a serum in our neck, but the idea is by the time uh, all, all things end, uh, we're we're there at that place. Like we will have our glorified bodies. Yeah. But yeah, that's interesting to see it. That I way think too. I think I was just more attuned to excite. So I I watched it the first time, and then uh-huh. I was like, man, I forgot so much of the other ones. <laughs> I went back yeah. and rewatched them. Oh, okay. And so I rewatched them, you know, in order. Tobey Maguire, Amazing Spider-Man. And then I remember thinking like, wait, all these villains are essentially the same. They're all mm. good-hearted scientists who take <laughs> their experiments a little too far. And now they live with this alter ego that's fighting to take over. Uh, like that's how it is with Doc Ock, Norman Osborn, Max elect- slash Electro, um, you know, Dr. Connors and, and the Lizard. So it's just... I just felt like they're all, it's the same formula over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, so for me, that was the, if I could give my one little gripe about, right. and this is not the movie, this is the Spider-Man, you know, lore. Uh, it's that. It's that the the villains are maybe a little bit too simplistic in the way they present this duality of good and evil. Yeah. The movie sense. was amazing and perfect. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I have to point out is how awesome was it when he first went to high school and the teachers were waiting up oh there. Oh my gosh, that was amazing. That, that was so funny. They had that funny. shrine and then it was the coach, the, the PE Hannibal Bress character who was just like, nah. nah, man, you know what you did. You're a murderer. <laughs> You're a murderer. And then they're all like, he's a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> if you want to go the, swing the, through the walls, the movie, we all know you yeah, can yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah. We all know you can do it. Just go ahead. Like the movie is just wall to wall, so much stinking fun. So like, fun, yeah. It's and so just rewatchable. The balance of humor and yet seriousness is probably the best we've seen in an MCU movie yeah. or any superhero movie. Yeah, and shout out to Filipino grandmas. Yes, that was so good, so stinking good. And I love that there was no subtitles. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is all context clues, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. And I love that you're you're listening to her from Andrew Garfield's perspective, and you're like, what is grandma what? saying? And yeah. then Ned's like, oh, could you, cause since you're up there, could you uh, just uh, yeah. clear those cobwebs? And then he like crawls over. So the it. funny thing is, so I, I watched it. Our main theater out here is in Daly City, which if you know anyone Filipino is watching this, knows Daly City is like, that's like Manila outside of the Philippines. Um, nice. Daly City has the largest concentration of Filipinos in the U.S., yeah, and so like half the theater are like cracking up um, yeah. while she's yeah. talking, and I'm just like, that's so awesome that like they get this moment, you know, uh-huh. the the first like Filipino person in the MCU, um, and I was even talking with one of our staff members as Filipino, and he was like, yeah, we were cracking up during that. And I was like, just like such a fun moment, you know, to experience that too with a with an audience that was largely Filipino. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. The girl that was behind me spoke Tagalog, and so she was translating for her friend. Oh, that's awesome. Like, in the moment, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Like, just little things like that. Yeah. Like, legit, this movie felt like a Christmas gift. <laughs> it was like Feige's Christmas gift to yes. all of us who love Spider-Man. Oh, yes. Okay, so... Spider-Man No Way Home, Christmas movie or not? Uh, if the last okay, shot... No. Okay, no, guys, come on. If the last shot of the movie features the Christmas tree at Rockefeller Center, right. it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> we just have to set that as a baseline. And we'll end when he's in the mirror dimension. He's swinging through the mall and there's Christmas music playing. 
Because this is supposedly taking place, like, you know, around Thanksgiving or shortly after. It's, it's all there. I'm going to say no, unless that means I get to watch it more often. <laughs> in which case, I'm going to go along with it. So now every Christmas, you got to watch every this Every Christmas, we watch this movie. Yeah. Wow, that's, that's a tough that burden to carry. The... <laughs> hey, with great <laughs> power comes great responsibility. Exactly. Well, with that, we'll be back in the second half uh, to talk about the Hawkeye series. So we'll be back in a quick moment. You're a Hawkeye. Who the hell are you? Some people have actually called me the world's greatest archer. Are you one of those people? It's the most wonderful. Hey, babe, I should be back in a day or two. Hang on a second. With the kids jingle Things have gotten more complicated. Um, so let's uh, let's talk about Hawkeye, bros. Bro, Hawkeye bro. was so good, bro. I bro, just it loved it the most, bro. <laughs> okay. So spoilers, by the way, spoiler filled, spoiler. Yeah. Spoiler filled. First question I got to ask, how does this rank for you guys in the Disney plus series? Ooh, that's a tough one. It might be my favorite. Mm. Really? I think Mm. it's my favorite. I think it's still behind Loki for me. Mm. I think I would say this has also become my favorite Disney plus series. I think it's my number one. Just edged out Loki, but so, Mike, tell us why, other than the fact that you're also such a big Hawkeye fanboy. Well, I mean, this so is just the super Mike episode. It's not episode. just – yeah, this is my episode. This is Mike's um, episode. So it's not necessarily that I'm a huge Hawkeye fanboy as much as I grew up with an obsession with archery. So it's more – So you are Kate Bishop? <laughs> um, yeah, basically. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I, I grew up loving all – all things to do with medieval weaponry, swords and daggers. Oh, so you're a LARPer. Yeah. Oh, oh man. If LARPing was a thing in the 90s, I totally, yeah, I, that would have been me. Um, so, yeah, I would have been all about that in, in high school. If it By the way, for anyone option. who doesn't know what LARPing is, it's live action role play. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There were a lot of people that didn't know. I'm just PSA. Um, so, I... I think this is my favorite series because it's just pure fun. You know, like sometimes you just need a, a good cold cup of water. And this is what that felt like with a whole string of really heavy and philosophically deep political um, commentary and um, philosophical nuances about sovereignty and freedom and uh, mind control and grief and despair <laughs> and all this. And Hawkeye just felt like a, a breath of fresh air. And it was just a, a lot of fun uh, while still being entertaining. And there's still obviously, you know, some meaningful content there to talk about um, as Clint processes his own grief and deals right. with kind of the fallout of yeah. his van- vigilanteism and everything. Yeah. Um, but it was just a really fun series to, that I felt like I could just sit back and enjoy. Yeah. And I appreciated that. Yes. Because I feel like the MCU has been very heavy 
lately. Yeah, the the street level storyline definitely made it much more enjoyable. Yeah, I felt like this was like Kevin Feige saying, how do we put Die Hard into the MCU? Oh my gosh, it was such a (laughs) Die Hard MCU movie. I mean, it's just like action-packed, totally Christmas setting like from the get-go. Um, I'm just like Clint's just trying to get back to his family, you know, very diehard esque. Um, but I I really liked, and I do think this is where some of the more like narrative, thematic, you know, philosophical, if we could say that, themes come in of the inner the interaction of Kate Bishop and Clint Barton, and Kate Bishop trying to find her way. And for me, it was really wrapped up in the final episode when ha- when Clint is like, are, are you ready for this? Like, this is what being a hero means. There's a lot of sacrifice. People are going to get hurt. And then she just gives that, like, beautifully worded response where she's like, everyone can be a hero if they're willing to be brave to stand up for what's right. And seeing you as someone who's just, like, legless with no superpowers swinging off a building <laughs> in the Battle of New York, like, that gave me hope. And yeah. so I like to me that was just such a beautiful line of like like yeah like heroism is just standing up for what is right when when it's hard to do that mm-hmm. um when when it, when you don't want to when everyone else is pushing against it or it's too much sacrifice for you and like before we get too much into the theos side but just one thought that I that I felt while watching Well what did Kevin think Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go for it. The fact that the stakes were lower after all the heaviness of everything that's happened, I mean, just in real life this year, um, but in the MCU as well, I really enjoyed the show. The only thing is I felt it was a bit overstuffed for six episodes because it was a shorter series and it was juggling a ton of different storylines. And then as soon as Yelena entered, dude, she's so good. She just stole the show. She stole the whole thing for me. And I was just like, man, if we had one more episode where Yelena and Kate Bishop were just hanging out in the elevator, like, (laughs) (laughs) I'd be okay with that. Just been like, yes, let's just add episode, you know, seven and eight. And it's just Yelena's adventures with Kate Bishop. That might have been my favorite singular scene in the entire series. So I know you're chummy with my mom but i gotta say i didn't think you'd make the cut for the christmas party kate bishop i'm not here to ruin anything i'm just going to kill barton have some appetizers and then i'll go <laughs> where where kate pulls the elf lighting up the christmas tree <laughs> elevator lights um yeah that was stop yeah, making was me so, like you so, so much good. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But even their fight, how they like hit each other and they like respect each other too. Yeah. <laughs> and are like complimenting each other, like, oh, just so good. Yeah. So stinking good. Yeah. So I would say that's that's the only thing. I just felt like it was overstuffed and there was a bunch of other yeah. like so many things that were going on and then the big reveal of Kingpin at the end and yeah, just all that. Um and Echo too. Just I felt like it was a lot. I actually like I think the thing that slightly disappointed me, I was just hoping for more time with Hawkeye himself, but if you watch these episodes kind of back to back, he's not in it nearly as much as you'd think he would be for a show called Hawkeye. But yeah, um, yeah. it is. You know, it's it's Kate Bishop's origin story, right, so it makes right. sense that it's juggling all these threads in her life. Right. Well, and Echo um, did get totally overshadowed as soon as Yelena. Oh came yeah, out. yeah, yeah. Like I don't. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad an Echo show's coming, but man, I really need a Yelena show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To be honest, after watching it, I was like, why, why are they doing an Echo show before all these other characters? I mean, just because she didn't, maybe because she didn't get as much screen time, they wanted, you know, 
explain her backstory more. I'm sure they have something really interesting, but just I don't get that from this show. Yeah. Like her yeah. introduction yeah. is is makes far less of a splash than, yeah. than Echo does. Unless Yelena does. Unless hey, an Echo series will give more backstory and we get more Wilson Fisk. Or probably unless it's Echo and Daredevil taking down Fisk. Or that. Because we all know Fisk is not gone. No. Like they don't it, bring him back to die like in that. one episode. No. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. They well, cannot and do that. The outfit that Fisk was wearing is totally ripped from the Spider Man family business comic run. When he yeah. Right, where right. everyone thinks that Fisk is dead and then he comes back out of the shadows. So yeah, like, the Hawaiian shirt with yeah, the white and the suit. the Hawaiian shirt and white yep. suit. Uh-huh. Which doesn't make sense for a Christmas setting, but yes. right. it's clearly a callback yeah, to that it totally comic book is. line. Like everyone and thought that hint. he was gone, but here he uh, is back. So it's, yeah. it's very much, yeah. He is so we'll gone. get more Fisk. Yeah. I don't think we have to worry about that. Well, yeah, we didn't talk about Daredevil showing up in Spider-Man Oh, we, we didn't, yeah. He anyway, popped up too. There, I mean, there you go. definitely no coincidence that he shows up in No Way Home. Right after the same week that, yeah, Fisk does in Hawkeye. So they're definitely hinting at something with that. And there's going to be some future in the MCU for both of them. It's exciting. Well, and in Spider-Man too, is like when, when they were in the, in the room together, and Peter obviously knew something's going on with this Murdoch character. So if he's going to, if Peter Parker needs help with anything in the next MCU Spider-Man movie, he's going to go to the lawyer who, the blind lawyer who caught a flying brick. Right. You know, <laughs> who's also like, what's, a good lawyer? what's your deal? <laughs> well, who's also considered a masked right. vigilante, so, and no one knows his his identity. We'll so they're living there. they're living very similar yeah. stories. But yeah, so yeah. so a little bit on Hawkeye. Like one of the one of the themes that I thought was there was this whole idea of that heroism, um, and. So one of the things I was seeing when I saw that that whole line that uh, Kate Bishop gives and just the interaction like of her mentorship looking up to Clint who like and maybe this is also where to your point Kevin I wish there was a little bit more like she kept saying you're a hero and Clint's like I'm not because you don't know who I am and obviously he's thinking about the Ronin his time as the Ronin but I wish they would have explored more of that you know like how does he deal with what he did and the internal wrestling. And they did, they did it, but it was it was brief. I felt like, yeah, um, yeah. But like that's where I felt like there was so much to like relate to and talk about, especially from a like a Christian perspective, where we think about all that we've done. Like if people only knew who we were, they would not look at us as heroes. Um, and yet, and yet, part of the Christian narrative is trusting that, like, similarly, we're talking with Spider Man. We we are able to be redeemed by the grace of God through the blood of Christ. Um, And now there's this sense of like heroism, if I can use that term, where we're called to step out to quote unquote, be brave for the sake of Christ um, to stand upon these truths when it seems like no one else around us is. And so that was just from a personal standpoint, something I was reflecting on as I was watching the film. And I, I even felt a little like, Oh, this, this show is challenging me and like how I, think about my own faith and you know being a pastor especially a youth pastor like how do we lead kids and step out like obviously jesus is the hero not us but how do we step out and live out moments of of heroism or bravery 
in the name of Christ, um, and obviously doing so in gentle and lowly and humble ways, but that's there. Yeah, that's a really good call. Um, and even as you're talking about that, it's um, it's not just as a Christian, if they if people knew who I am, but as a youth pastor, right, and as a right. youth leader, if these students knew what I did when I was a teenager, or if they knew me back then, they wouldn't listen to me now. Right. Uh, that question of um, that shame uh, that we experience mm-hmm. when we think about our own teenage selves. Um, and I think sometimes that's where books like The Jesus I Wish I Knew in High School can be really helpful um, in just yeah. ha- confessing <laughs> and being vulnerable and honest about um, this is who I was um, in my teen years. And I can talk about that without shame and without right. guilt because I know that um, it's been, it's been forgiven and yeah. I've been redeemed. Um, and I'm going to let my kind of the tough stuff that the Lord has brought me through. Um, so yeah, I, I thought, yeah, that, that's a good call, Clark, that I hadn't connected and I'm verbally talking through. Yeah. Right good now. plug. Yeah. No, that's good. That's good. <laughs> that is. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's, I think that was the most compelling part of the show was that episode when they were um, having that mini Christmas party and he was talking about what it means to be hero. Yeah. And he was talking about this idea that like so much of what he does is actually killing people. Yeah. Just, he just has the permission to do that. Right. And like that's how he had internalized what his job was because of the Ronin and what he did when he was in that particular costume. Um, but in the end, I, again, there's a little bit of redemption for him too because – um, what Kate Bishop sees in him. And <laughs> it's funny because we keep calling her Kate Bishop because... Just like Yelena. Kate Bishop. Can't just, just call her Kate. Right? That you know who she is. <laughs> <laughs> but she's like talking to him and, and I found that scene to be pretty affecting, right? Just him, just her telling him like, when you leapt off that building, like that, that's, that's what made me decide to be a hero too. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh yeah. Because sometimes we can get caught up in so much of the things that we've done, um, and that, that that self-talk can get us to a point where we wonder if we're you know doing things that we're supposed to be doing even as youth workers and youth pastors. But it's also you know it's it's a little bit of a warning to us too, a tale of caution that people are watching the way we behave. Yeah, you know yeah. people are paying attention to the lives that we're living and do the lives that we live match up with what we teach. And it definitely, that matters. Yeah. That matters. Kevin, can you just sit in it for a minute? You're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we got to address the self-talk here. <laughs> That's totally what I was thinking of. Yes. Yes. Like, this is popped right into my Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, when we think about the show in that sense, like as a youth pastor, like I thought about this multiple times, like Clint Barton mentoring this young college girl or recent grad kate bishop like that's got so much of what youth and student ministry is you know mm-hmm. um and there were but so many trick youth pastor clint yes. now youth pastor so we got two youth pastors <laughs> yeah and so it's just cross there's so many moments where he's like with her and i'm like man like like it just feels so much like this youth pastor student mm-hmm. relationship it really um does. You know, because like she's not, she's older than any of his kids, so she's not his like a daughter to him, but he is like this older mentor figure. Um, and yeah, just thinking like, how do we, how do we lead students in a way that doesn't mimic the bad, but still being a mentor to them, um, and and imparting to them even like like I was thinking about 
Kate Bishop's whole story is working through who she is, feeling she wants to be a hero, but then feeling like she has these obstacles in the way she's fighting. Like her, her mom is a big part of it. Um, and not to like raise our kids to be heroes. I think that's maybe too much of what the world says. Hey, but there to be a Daniel Clark. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You can be great and do anything in Christ who strengthens you. Yes. But you know, along the same lines of just like helping kids, like giving them, freedom and permission and and courage to live out who they are in Christ and to have the bravery to walk in the way of Jesus when it's hard um when when they feel like giving up and just I feel like that's so much of youth ministry today is trying to like encourage and equip and strengthen kids to stick with Jesus in a society and world that really doesn't want them to mm-hmm. yeah and I think one of the one of the things I took away from it is the whole um, the lesson of, of raising up not just the um, Clint to Kate as a youth pastor to student, but Clint and Kate as a youth pastor and um, youth leaders, like volunteer, mm-hmm. your volunteer leaders. Um, like how are we raising up the next generation of youth workers um, to, to lead in youth ministry? to be leaders for others who need someone to advocate for them, um, who they need, you know, disciples to disciple them. And they might do it a little bit differently. They might, you know, we might look as the grizzled veterans and say, ah, you can try it that way, but it's not going to work. But (laughs) like, and then they do it that way. And sometimes it it works works. and sometimes it doesn't. And you're like, I told you so. Like, (laughs) you should have just done it the way I told you. But like these things that we as veterans do sometimes, like, are we actually equipping our volunteers to lead or are we just saying just follow me and do it my way um or are we really empowering them to to rethink some things and to lead their small groups and um to mentor students and uh to do the work of ministry even if it's a little bit different from the way that that we would do it you know uh, the other thing that I loved about the series is where at at the beginning, when um, when Clint tried to white fang her <laughs> and say like, "Go get away! I don't need you anymore!" <laughs> right? Like, he totally white fanged her. Yeah. Um, you know, That's a thing. White fanging somebody. Oh yeah, yeah. Have, have you never read the book? It's amazing. Um, no, I have. I just never heard of. Yeah, yeah, using you, that you, as a yeah. You, to, you know, white fang someone anyway. when yeah, you tell yes. when. <laughs> You, you, you try running when them away. When you love them and you want to protect them. Yeah, but you, you want to protect them, them so you tell them that you hate them, so then they leave yeah. you alone. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's Got called it. white fanging yes. someone. Uh, so like, he totally tried to white fanger be- after Yelena showed up, and he was like, yeah. you don't want to get involved in this. Go away. Um, it's my problem, not yours. And then she tried to do it to him in the last episode, uh, and he was like, hey, we're partners. Your yeah. problems are my problem. Yeah, right. Right. And I thought that was such a cool flipping the script. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was like, yes, partners. Yeah. <laughs> we finally got him to acknowledge it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that came up for me while watching the show was um, reconciliation, like reconciling with your past, mm-hmm. um, reconciling with this idea of like 
with Kate and her mom, you know, like who's her mom really? Um, who's Jack really? Oh, by the way, the character Jack, man, I love <laughs> the guy. He's so yeah. By the time he got to the end, you just realized he's just a weirdo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's not a bad guy. He's just yes. weird. Yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, I love, I love that. But then, um, uh, and Yelena too, like reconciling with the truth of, you know, what happened yeah. with their sister and all yeah. that. Um, I think that's why it fell down a little for me. I thought that could have been a far more powerful reconciliation with the fight scene that she has with Clint and mm. the conversation that they have. Like, I felt like there could have been more there to kind of wrap up that storyline, especially because that episode that opens with her getting dusted and then coming back, like, oh gosh, like we just, you forget just the trauma that she's been through and then yeah. having to discover that her sister died, like during the time that she was, she'd been blipped and, and all that. So I think I was hoping for a little bit more from there, but just, just as a whole, like, um, the fact that it was set during Christmas, I think Christmas movies, they set up that expectation, right? That like whatever conflict is going to happen, if it's a true Christmas movie, by the time it's over, <laughs> like all things are okay again, you know? And I was Peace thinking in the about, world. Yeah. What is the status of everybody at the end, right? In terms of all the, the, the good guys, so mm-hmm. to speak. And I'm realizing that like for Yelena, like there is a little bit because she's able to wrestle with the truth that her sister was the one that gave up her life and she doesn't have to deal with the, that anger anymore and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, aside from that, that's it, it's not it, it didn't feel whole for me. Like I felt like there's still a lot that she has to wrestle with. It's still unresolved. You want that all to get yeah, it's still unresolved resolved right. in one episode, though. Like I feel like that well, would be criticism critical yeah maybe. that's also no but that's also true like but that's oh why she's come to like terms with it the so series quickly was, yeah but that's why i felt like the series was overstuffed <laughs> well that's where you know, i was like, hoping one of those end credit scenes would have been her yeah mm, yeah because because i felt that too like she just walks yeah. away and that's the last we see of her right but and we'll i wish there again. was a seed of something where like we are going to get more of her dealing with that yeah yeah but but the thought i had was that you know we want reconciliation to be nice and tidy but oftentimes reconciliation for us is fairly messy. Right, right. And it's not just like, oh, I said sorry, you said I forgive you, and then we're kind of done. Like reconciliation is a process that you go through, um, especially in interpersonal relationships. I yeah. don't know. I was just thinking like that's that's a part of what the show is working through. And at first I didn't like the fact that things weren't wrapped up the way they were supposed to be. But actually the more I think about it, the more I'm glad they're not because that's more reflective of reality. And I think for um, having conversations with students about, let's say, one of these themes, I think it's like such a good conversation to have about like the messiness of like mentor relationships, the messiness of reconciliation, the messiness of all that. And just to be like, well, what were you hoping was what the outcome would be Mm. and how could that have happened? Yeah. And, you know, what what's what's the kind of messiness that you're dealing with in your life? And I think there's a lot there to talk about with students for sure. Um, but as you guys were talking about mentoring, that was the other theme that kind of stood out to me is, you know, what, like, if you had to judge Clint Barton as a mentor, like, what kind of score would you give him? Do you guys think that he was a good mentor? Yeah. (laughs) And yet that's the role he's like always has in the Avengers. Yes. Uh Yes. Uh With Wanda. Yeah. Yeah. Which Kevin Feige said that scene in Age of Ultron was the seed of this show. Like, I mean, just wild to me, like six years ago. That's crazy. Yeah. And I think that those are some great thoughts. Like real life relationships are not a Christmas Hallmark movie. Like it's not just nice and tight and wrapped up with a bow. It's long-term. It's messy. Like it even makes me think of um, Civil War between Tony and Steve. Yeah. Like their relationship is 
it takes the next like what six plus years before they're finally fully reconciled. Mm-hmm. Uh, like like even in Endgame when he goes to visit him, you sense a little bit of the awkwardness of like they still haven't really right reconciled because they're still dealing with the fallout. Yeah, they're of what still happened. fighting. Yeah, they're still mm-hmm. they're still, still fighting around that table when Tony like, yeah. pulls his plug out. <laughs> yeah. You know, so right, I, right. I I love I love that like that I felt like that was very honest and authentic to to real life. Um, well, and yeah. and again in Civil War, um, who goes and gets Wanda out from her home imprisonment? Hawkeye. Hawkeye. Yeah. Oh right. Yeah. I forgot right. about so, that. So like, he goes and he chases down the kid who was in, basically imprisoned by her fellow teammates. And says, so like, you have more to offer than what right, they're doing. Right. Like, what they're doing yeah. to you is not right. Yeah. yeah. This isn't who you should be. So Westview, then, is Hawkeye's fault. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just scratch anyway. that from the record. <laughs> but, yeah, so, like, Clint Barton, what kind of a mentor is he? Like, we... I mean, that's the whole question, right? He's not someone who should be looked up to as a hero. He says that himself. Yeah. yeah. And yet Kate, Kate keeps telling him, like, you are. Like, you're a hero. Uh, you're someone people look up to whether you like it or not. Um, which, like, you feel for him because you're like, that's a scary thing knowing what he's done. And with all eyes on him, like, he doesn't want that. And yet it's true of him just by nature of who he is and his position as an Avenger. Yeah. But I think it's it's the fact that once he's fully able to embrace Kate as like partner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's when you see that, that, that relationship flourishing. Right. You know? And so by the time the ending happens and he like invites her over to spend Christmas with his family, you get a sense of like, Oh my gosh, this makes so much sense. But throughout the oh, show, and his wife is Mockingbird. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. I'm totally stealing your like very insightful point, but yeah. Like his wife is Mockingbird. Yeah, I yes. <laughs> yeah. Which makes me wonder, you know, her name is Laura. Her name is Laura. Do you think they're just going to change that so Mockingbird is Laura? Or do you think Laura is a code name, like a fake name, and Bobby Morris is her real name? You know what I mean? Right. Like, I, or, or is I, Mockingbird more of a title? Yeah. And mm. she retired and then bequeathed it to some to Bobby Morris. Or yeah. Bobby Morris is her her mo- her mom. Oh, I mean, yeah, they could do stuff like that. And the mantle too. was passed on to her. Right, right. Yeah. I don't know. Interesting. There's I mean, they just blew the door open on that cuz that was yeah. a fan theory for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And, and does Shield just like give Rolex as retirement watches? Like what the <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I was like what is this? I was like why does she have Apparently. this? Apparently. Is there spy tech in there? Is there a James Bond laser in there? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, so my my theory is that like the reason that watch was so important is because it's tied to her as the mockingbird. Which would blow uh-huh. her cover with the kids and the uh, family, right? So, oh yeah, that's why she oh, needed that it back. That makes more sense. Okay, okay, okay. That makes more sense. So it's directly tied to her identity as yeah. Mockingbird as a former Shield agent. Yeah. yeah, and thematically that makes sense too because he's trying. Uh, Hawkeye's trying not to be associated with Ronan. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're both kind of running from right those associations. That makes so sense. It'll be cool to see when we get the fulfillment of that seed, uh, whenever that yeah. is. It'll be six years from now. <laughs> probably. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> All right. So last question before we wrap it up. Um, boxed mac and cheese on Christmas. Yay <laughs> on or nay? Christmas, no. But <laughs> well, because we got it. times, yes. We, I sent you guys that meme on Instagram. Hey, look, of, uh, as long as there's hot sauce on it, it's fine. 
of Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone. Dear Lord, mm-hmm. please be- bless this highly nutritious microwavable mac and cheese dinner. And then Yelena, uh, it's so tasty. Mac and cheese is the best. <laughs> okay before we end the show can i just i want to hear your guys's opinion on something that also happened in both spider-man and hawkeye that we didn't get a chance to talk about which is rogers the musical oh my god (laughs) yeah so the end credit or the mid credits for the hawkeye series finale was they showed you the full rogers full song the full song which was awesome (laughs) so amazing this is so good and how they were like "Merry Christmas" from the Marvel Studios. Yeah. Like, yes, thank you. Yet another tiny little gift under the tree. Yes, I loved it. I, I thought it was so good. So legit. After I watched that, I was like, I would pay money to see this Broadway show. Oh, for sure. I think it's the only Broadway show you can get me to go to. <laughs> it, it was. Oh. I enjoyed it, but it was getting a little bit long. It was a little long, yeah. I was like, okay, you know, wrap it up. I was kind of like, all right, I've heard. You can do this all day. All right. Okay, but I mean, but I mean, how crazy is it we that like this, this production? <laughs> but I this production know. put this whole thing together yeah. just for that opening sequence. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just mind-boggling that we live in this timeline where, like, in in our real timeline right now, where Marvel Studios would put together a musical version of the Avengers movie. Yeah, well, just, and yeah, I think this is where we probably need to thank COVID. Because Broadway's been shut down so they could film it because all those Broadway actors had the time and space <laughs> yeah. to do something ridiculous like that. Right. That they probably could never otherwise do. Yep. <laughs> but my favorite of that is that Ant-Man's there. <laughs> yeah, why is he there? Like, even, just... even Clint watching it, he wasn't there. Like, oh, yeah, with a time he, he, wasn't <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he wasn't even there. I really... Yeah. I, I just one of the other so MCU podcasts that that I listened to had this theory that it should end with Yelena watching the Rogers musical, eating like popcorn, eating popcorn. And just like no, laughing no joke. At the ridiculousness that's that's of it. what I yeah, that's what I thought was gonna happen. And I was yes. like, oh, they're doing it, they're doing it. Because they kept cutting back to the composer, and I was so disappointed. Or the yeah. conductor, you know? Yeah. So because yeah. they, they didn't just show us like the musical from an audience perspective they kept cutting back to the conductor yeah, yeah. I kept and so i was like for oh him. for sure this is going to end with the camera now panning over yelena watching this and i was like yes and her just but like again this laughing. is not about her yeah this is not about her so i'm not surprised they didn't do it but i that's just yeah she's such an awesome just everyone been, loves her so much it would have been, been such a surprised. yelena thing to do yeah yeah, 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 yeah. did you know the hot sauce thing was like totally improvised i guess or something Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That, she loves I guess hot sauce. Florence Pugh that's loves amazing. hot sauce and um, Haley Steinfeld doesn't. Oh, so, <laughs> like, the hot sauce was just there. <laughs> so they just did it. And then she kept dumping more and more hot sauce in for every scene. And they're like, um, Florence, are you okay? And she's like, oh, yeah, this is great. <laughs> well, and the fact that it was like sriracha hot sauce, yeah. Asian yeah. hot sauce, even better. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. good. So good. Well, uh, probably time to call it an episode thanks for tuning in to our christmas extravaganza extra long mcu packed episode uh we hope that you enjoyed it we hope you'll continue to check out our previous and upcoming episodes if you want more content from us check us out on our social media handles at twitter or instagram at thanos theos or email us with any questions or comments thanos theos at gmail.com and again, if you want to check out any more gospel-centered, grace-filled, Bible-saturated resources, go to Rooted Ministry, www.rootedministry.com. Thanks, everyone. Merry Christmas. 
Merry Christmas. Keep washing your hands. Yeah, Merry Christmas. And if you guys have any plans to watch or binge through any of these movies and Disney Plus shows, we've had episodes on pretty much everything that's been released the last two years. Yes, we so have. You can catch up on our shows as well. Thanks, guys, for listening. Merry Christmas, Merry bro. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Happy New Year. <laughs> Save the city, help us win. Save us all from the state we're in. Things look dark, but I know this can't be the end. There's a future, and I know them. With the strength you bring us, we'll rise again. Avengers unite. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thanos to Theos, part of the Rooted Network family of podcasts. For more resources designed to equip and encourage you to faithfully disciple students towards lifelong faith in Jesus Christ, be sure to find Rooted on the web at www.rootedministry.com.